You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 322 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, author and researcher Joshua Wempechat returns and we will be talking about mushrooms and fairies. Joshua has written a book called Ancient Psychedelia, Alien Gods and Mushroom Goddesses. So thanks for being on the podcast again. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for having me back on. I appreciate it very much, Alex. So can you remind the listeners uh, who you are and, and what you do? Yes. Uh, my name is Josh Bempishat, and I am a researcher, longtime uh, researcher by hobby, uh, truth and um, conspiracy. And uh, after a long journey searching for truth and uh, trying to figure things out about what's really going on in the world... I uh, had a near-death experience in a few years back and realized that I needed to put a book together to explain the roots of religion, uh, tracing back to the goddess, mushrooms, and UFOs. And so uh, I put that book together. Uh, it took me uh, four years and about 5,000 hours of research. And uh, it's got over a thousand color images of secret mushroom symbolism from all around the world and goes through all the different myths and religions showing the stories and breaking them down and revealing the hidden mushroom symbolism, but then also taking the images from uh, pictographs and stellas and artifacts and coins and matching those up with the ancient myths to show more evidence of the secret mushroom symbolism. One thing about me is I always, even if I agree with something, I always play devil's advocate. And uh, uh, one concern I have is that isn't there a risk that one might easily think that it's always that? I mean, sometimes it could be some ancient uh, uh, painting or uh, carving or something that you could say, oh, that's also a mushroom, but in fact if we could travel back in time we know, we would find out that it's not. It's like, it's not. it can't all be it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. And while I was, uh, you know, um, collecting all the images and I was matching them up to the stories and I was putting the information together, I was very aware and careful to make sure that I didn't make that mistake as best that I could. Now, I, I couldn't avoid that in every case, probably, but with over a thousand different images all pointing to the same thing, there becomes a, a preponderance of evidence that, that builds up that you can start to see there's a pattern there. And one of the things that occurred to me while I was digging through all this is that in pr pretty much every single instance where there's secret mushroom symbolism, there also exists a reasonable explanation as to what that is that has nothing to do with the mushroom. And I realized that that was actually a very important aspect of the art, of the aspect of art, of how art developed and became known as art. Because the earliest art was hiding the symbols of the mushroom in some sort of a holy or religious or spiritual representation. And in every case, there was 
actually something else that you could say that that related to as a part of the story, but that seemed to be the story for the uninitiated. The initiated, who would be the priesthood or the kings or who would ever be showing their family or closest relatives or other uh, secret society confidants, showing them the secret imagery, they would be able to say, here, see, this is the secret imagery of the mushroom. But when the public saw it, they would see something completely different, which was the story they were told, which was the common uh, theme, which was supposed to, you know, be what everybody accepted, that that's what that was. There had to be, in every instance of ancient art and symbolism, there had to be a reasonable explanation for it when they put the mushroom in there. Otherwise, uh, they'd have no reason for showing it or having it or displaying it or, you know, promoting it in society. Uh, you know, uh, the whole point was to keep it secret. The reason I mention it is because I see it often in 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 the conspiracy world, especially people who might post online about uh, the Illuminati or the people who control the world or whatever. Uh, they see the classical uh, Masonic or uh, Illuminati symbolism in, in everything. Like just the other day I saw somebody had posted pictures of uh, a Super Mario video game and the, it had a checkered floor, just like the checkered floor of Masonic temples, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking, well, yeah, but... Uh, chess is also a checkered floor maybe and chess is a game and so is Super Mario it could have might as well have been an inspiration to to have it look like chess board I mean like you can read into it a lot uh, and it must be difficult when you do that kind of work as you're doing to uh, avoid falling into those traps yeah definitely uh, I think so um, but what you think is important to look for is um, multiple confirmations. So <clears throat> uh, when you have only one or two confirmations, that's not very, very solid. So having more confirmations helps. So looking at the context in which the image is, is uh, actually exists, the context of it helps because if the context of it also relates esoterically to the mushroom and you can see that, then Having the mushroom there, it makes sense if that's what it, if if that's what it appears to be. Uh, with something like the checkerboard or the chessboard or something like in a game like Mario, I think most of us are aware that the people who program these ideas into society and stuff, having the whole you know the mushroom and then it making you bigger and stronger and stuff, um, those are secret society codings into our uh, into our our culture in ways. So having like a, a checkerboard or a, you know, Masonic type of thing, that's a little bit of a stretch to say, oh, well, let's see, this is all connected. But, you know, of course it could be, you know, but just to take something like that is, I think is, is, is a leap or a stretch of, of, of faith to take something simple like that. So it's good to be discriminating, especially when you're, you're trying to get to the truth of things, because you have to weigh uh, the evidence on both sides. It's, it's not all, it's not all or nothing. And usually uh, there's a lot of things out there that people latch onto, and I see that all the time. And uh, yeah, it's good to check yourself, you know, challenge yourself. If we take that mushroom in Super Mario that makes you go bigger, um, uh, it could just be as simple as, well, that's an inspiration from Alice in Wonderland. That would be a logical reason why the guy who invented Super Mario might think about that. But then when you look at Alice in Wonderland, 
then I imagine more like the reason uh, he was writing about mushrooms could be more of a heritage from the mushroom-eating people of the past in in Britain. Sure, yeah, macropsy and micropsy. Um, Those are supposed to be two different characteristics of the Amanita muscaria mushroom, uh, where they make objects appear to be much larger or much smaller than they really are. And apparently, uh, from my understanding, Lewis Carroll had some books on the Amanita muscaria on his bookshelf uh, back in the day. So he was definitely aware of those things. And <clears throat> it appears that many of those concepts ended up coming into fairy tales uh, and even and the Bible as well uh, when we talk about giants. Um, I think that there's a, a big relation right there, um, fairy tales to the Bible and the ideas of giants uh, and dwarfs and all kinds of things like that. You know, we tend to take those things and we think, oh, well, that was a, a race of giants that lived on the planet and, you know, and that these were the pre- predecessors to humanity. And, you know, we take stretches of like that, uh, things like that, and we, we, we stretch them with the imagination, I think. But there, there's usually, I think, simpler answers um, to a lot of these things. So so what would be your thesis? that the... The the mushroom religion, let's call it, was very big back in the day, and then they kept it secret. And then today, uh, well, uh, the cat's out of the bag. Everybody knows about mushrooms. Not everybody, but you know, it's not a secret like that. But the people who used to be in control, who made it secret, do you think those people still uh, like the mushroom, or do you think it's they forgot it themselves, and now they're more focused on other things? like uh, the World Bank and owning stuff? I think that's a great question, uh, really. Um, you always ask great questions, Alex. Uh, I, I, lo- I, I love and appreciate that. Um, one of the things I came across, which I uh, it, it kind of like it was part of the research, it wasn't something that somebody told me or that was in one book, or it was kind of like I gathered it through reading many, many accounts and, and, and things, and it, it came to a formation in my mind, like an image or a picture. But <clears throat> it does seem that the, the tribal matriarchal societies uh, lived in harmony throughout the world with nature, and the mushroom was the focus of their spirituality for a long, long period of time. I'm not sure exactly how long, but at some point, the the uh, male, the patriarchal groups, some men broke off from those groups and formed their own groups, and that's when they started to uh, utilize slaves and that's when they started to write things down to remember things that previously their minds were able to recall uh, with great feats of memory. And they started to write down king lists and uh, inventories in Sumer. And it seems like that's when the, the patriarchy took off, the kingship took off, the, uh, the changeover in the power structure in the world as they went around the world conquering uh, native tribes like the Greeks did and the Romans did, and wiping them out, replacing them with so-called civilized societies. But we can see that during the time period of the 1300s, as late as the 1300s, the kings of England and Europe uh, were still preserving the original common knowledge of the mushroom in the fairy tales and things like Melusina, where they discussed that the uh, uh, there was ideas about the uh, uh, royal heritage marrying into the fairy lineage, <clears throat> and that the royal families were descendants of the fairies, and uh, that was mushroom symbolism and imagery. And it appears in the stories of King Arthur and Merlin, 
uh, specifically around that same time period. At least we know that during that time period, there was still a familiar association with the mushroom. And that uh, became a part of the, uh, uh, the Knights Templars, the Red Cross of the Knights Templars, the Cathars, the Albigensians, and people and uh, groups that were pursued and extinguished by Rome uh, during that same time period. So uh, at that point, it looks like uh, the mushroom use, the common usage and knowledge of it by the kings and these families, these particular uh, royal families that had built up for over many generations and centuries, it seems like there was a division at that point within the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church wanted them to quiet down and route out all of the public uh, associations that they had with the mushroom at that time. So the church kept the secret symbolism alive within the church in frescoes and paintings and things and symbolism within the church and in their writings and publications. Um, and, uh, and the Kings kept the stories alive through fairy tales and, and different things like that. So it appeared at least up until a few hundred years ago, maybe that there was still common uh, 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 usage and understanding of it. I don't know that they would necessarily all do it, um, but I would I would suspect that uh, these people uh, were introduced to it at a very young age. Um, the it seems like the Rosicrucians took up the cause. Uh, of the mushroom, and that was in contradistinction and opposition to the Catholic Church creating the Jesuits around the same time. So you have some warring factions between the Catholic Church and the the, uh, the Rosicrucians, where it seems like the Rosicrucians were advancing the knowledge of the mushroom through the knowledge of alchemy and using the hidden symbolism within alchemy to promote the the mushroom as the philosophical stone, uh, philosopher's stone, and. Uh, the Holy Grail and, and, and many different things. So the knowledge was definitely there, but the good, the real, what, what this really boils down to is a question of whether somebody like Donald Trump or some of the current leaders, you know, or some of the people that are uh, descendants of the Royals that have been promoted to positions high in the world, whether they were ever initiated with mushrooms, uh, maybe during their, you know, uh, prepubescent or, you know, during that teenage time period of their lives, you know, and they were ever given that, I would tend to think that they might be, um, you know, that they still use that and still have that knowledge because we see some very supra consciousness within some of these people, um, this grand understanding of how everything seems to work. And somebody needed to carry down that knowledge of the geometry and the sciences and the arts and all that thing, all this entire time down through history. So I don't think they ever really not lost it. I think they've learned how to keep it more and more secret. And now instead of descending from fairies, they give people stories that they're descending from aliens and interdimensional shape-shifting reptiles and things. So, you know, they, they keep the whole fairy tale going. And I think that they keep the knowledge as well, you know, pretty intact. I always think it's in interesting that the term fairy is, is used for somebody who's gay or somebody who's very weak you know, like a fairy. But in reality, you know, like if you study folklore, fairies is not like a creature you fuck with, you know, like they, uh, I'd be scared of a fairy who came after me, you know, uh, how, how it's a more powerful thing, you know, but it's in our modern language is used more as a thing of weakness. Okay, so I'll tell you a very interesting story I had recently um, with fairies. And this was really probably the most interesting and wild 
weirdest experience I've ever had in my entire life. And it just happened a few weeks ago. So it's, it's pretty fresh in my memory. And um, <clears throat> I'd love to share it with you because I haven't shared it. And I think it's, it's pretty mind-blowing. So I have a friend in Hawaii, uh, a, a lady friend of mine. We've known each other for over 25 years. And uh, she's, it's really late, early in the morning. I'd been up most of the night. Um, and she sends me a picture. And it's from Hawaii. And it was during the full moon. She had taken a picture of the moon. And in the picture, there's these little blue green, there's this little blue green orb in the picture. <clears throat> and I thought to myself, I didn't want to point it out directly and say, well, you know, I didn't know if she saw it or not. So I sent a text back to her and I said, is this, you know, are you, are you filming orbs? Or are you sending me a picture of the moon? It turns out that uh, she had taken a couple pictures of these. And I, I, you know, we left it. I told her that I thought it might be a little weird, you know, because it was, it was, she sent me the video and it was moving around and dancing around in the video. And I wasn't sure what to make of it. She thought it might be like a camera flare or something like that, like a lens flare. And I looked into it and I started looking and I started to see that there are these blue green lens flares in the Apple iPhones and stuff. And I just didn't think that this is what it was. It looked a lot different than that. It was dancing around in the, in the video. Um, so we ended that conversation and it was the next day and I was speaking to another, uh, friend of mine, uh, more, more local. And it was 11 o'clock in the evening. I decided to call her and, and tell her, or I was going to let her know about this, this incident that my friend sent me with this, with weird green orb. It was, it was 11 o'clock the next day. And I sent her a text. I didn't want to show her the video yet. And I just sent her this text and she, nine minutes later, I get a text back from her and it's three, it's a couple of pictures and it looks like it's the moon and it looks like it's similar to the cloud formations around it. And it's from Hawaii, it looks like. And I said, where did you get this? Because it also had a blue green uh, like orb thing in it. And I, I was wondering, where'd you get this picture? And it was similar to what I had and I hadn't even sent it to her. So I was like, she finally gets back to me and she says, just now I go, she goes, this is Hawaii in Hawaii right now. And I'm like, well, look, where did you get this picture? This is really weird. Like how long have you had this? She, she calls me and we, we talked and I found out that in that nine minutes, she had been talking to her friend in Hawaii and her friend sent her that picture and she sent it to me without ever having read the text that I sent her yet, because she was on the phone. She told me she literally had never even read the text, and she sent me a picture of the same thing I sent her the day uh, my, that my other friend sent me the day before. So this is really, really weird, and uh, we we looked into this a little bit, and it turned out that um, uh, she tried to she tried to film it in her her house the next day. She saw that it was appearing there. It was a there was a blue green like dash in there. It wasn't an orb, but it was a dash. So I asked her. I go, well, you can't really tell from an image. You're going to have to take a video of it. She say, takes a video of it. She sends it to me, and it's clearly a, a, a camera lens flare. But this is in the daytime inside of her home the next day. So I, I say this is completely different than what what you had on film before. It turned out she went outside and tried to film in the daylight again under the moon, and she got the same orb dancing around. And it's, it's really wild because the way it dances around is, is, 
it's magical when you look at it. It's not. So I go and I go and look online, and I figured, you know, I'm going to go in YouTube and type uh, to see fairies and orbs, and because I thought it was a fairy when I first saw it dancing around. That's the first thing that popped in my mind was I thought this that's a fairy. I never really had any reason to associate the orb with a fairy before, although I had associated UFOs with fairies in my mind because of some of the research I had come across in my book. So it's really kind of interesting because uh, some of the things I found in my when I was doing the research was this connection between UFOs and fairies that was kind of not really known. We have the information that was covered by... Um, uh, Jacques Vallée in Magonia, Passport to Magonia, where he he draws the co- correlation between the stories of the fairies and the stories of UFOs and abductions of stuff. And that's been a little bit more known in the UFO world, but the connections that haven't been made are the connections between mushrooms and the UFOs. And the mushrooms, mushrooms and the fairies haven't really come out fully in that sense. So one of the more interesting uh, stories that I had come across was from the 1800s and it was a story about the fairies and it was in a book about fairies. And it was one instance where um, they had said that the fairies had taken somebody up into the sky and recently they had been taking some of the cows and that the fairies had taken this one man and dropped him off on the other side of town and that the people were rushing up there to try to kill him or something because they thought it was, you know, the work of the devil. This this preacher, pastor, or minister had to talk the people out of, of killing him and saying that, you know, his his presence and the fact that he was alive was a divine work of God or something. And so they spared his life. But the point was that they had there was an association of the idea of UFOs and fairies at one point. And they were mixing up the same stories uh, with fairies as people were making up and talking about in relation to mushrooms. So um, I think it's interesting because uh, all these things are tied together and and it's a a big area that we have left to explore uh, because it does seem that the orbs uh, are actually, in fact, one of the forms of the fairies that many people have seen for many, many, many years. And so when we talk about, we blow this little thing off like, oh, the fairy and the idea of this magical thing like a unicorn or this weak, pathetic type of frail, you know, um, person who's like Peter Pan or something like that. Those are all uh, cultural misappropriations, I think, uh, to a great degree because of our lack of understanding of this phenomena. So in your view, uh, when it comes to aliens, uh, what, what do you think it is? I think the, the idea of aliens themselves is a is a psyop. It's a Nazi psyop that's a part of Masonic controlled uh, MK Ultra information that came out in the 1940s and 1950s and was pushed through Hollywood. I don't think that there's a possibility for aliens to come here from other worlds because I, I, of the Van Allen radiation belt. Uh, for the same reason, I don't think we went to the moon. I don't think any physical beings can come through to this place and live on this planet as physical beings from another time and space. What I think is, is that based on the research that I did and putting together the history of uh, the real ancient aliens, which is ancient psychedelia, which is mushroom mythologies in the old world that were turned into characteristic deities like Apollo and Zeus and, uh, 
Mithra and uh, Anu and Enki and Enlil and all these were personifications of the elements of wind and fire and earth and air and water. And then they were given further characteristics, but they were all described how the mushroom comes into formation on the planet and that we come from and evolve from the mushroom itself. That that can even be found in Greek original origin creation story mythology and metamorphosis, where they talk about the fungus, uh, the men growing up from the fungus coming up from the ground. There's two different stories in metamorphosis. And recently I found a, um, a metal. It's like a, uh, it's like a coin, but it wasn't a coin. I'm not sure exactly what you call it, but it's like a round and it has the creation story from Greece where uh, normally you see the Egyptian creation story with Ptah and he's forming the man out of clay and the man sits up on a pedestal. Well, the, pedest- the man is normally on the pedestal and the pedestal itself could be a mushroom, but you can't be sure. In the new, the Greek coin I recently found or, or round I recently found an image of, it has the creation of man where the pedestal is being offered to man and man is standing there and the pedestal is clearly a mushroom. And so the ancient world, the, the, the people believed, I think, that God was in embodied within the mushroom, that God, God is the creator, was embodied within the mushroom, and that we were the product of the growth of spores that came here from outer space and that came here, you know, on asteroids or whatever. But I think the ancient people understood this. And so they had these concepts of, you know, God coming from the heavens and things. And, you know, culturally, we look at that like aliens coming from the heavens, creating man. But, you know, it could just as easily have been spores because, it's very evident that they were aware of the mushroom as an aspect of God and goddess and creation. And it's, there's even further evidence that they had stories and beliefs that we actually evolved directly from the mushroom. So I think that has more to do with it than aliens themselves. I don't think there's any <clears throat> grays. I don't think that there's any reptilians. I don't think that there's any mantis beings. Um, and, and that kind of uh, might lead us into <clears throat> um, the next subject that I, I kind of wanted to cover if you're interested in, in discussing it, um, which is what I see as a new PSYOP being introduced into the psychedelic community and the idea of aliens being promoted through two people specifically, um, through uh, um, Rick Strassman, who wrote the DMT uh, uh, Spirit Molecule, uh, his financing for some of the research he admits in his book came from the Scottish Rite Freemasonry. And uh, we know that Freemasonry has been involved in MKUltra to a degree um, in the PSYOP. Uh, there's different uh, evidences for that. Um, we know that 75% of the higher ups at NASA are Freemasons and that, you know, the secret, the, the whole space program's run and controlled by uh, Masons, but uh, what's what's curious and bothersome to me is this idea that we are that we have a way to communicate with aliens through taking psychedelics like DMT. And uh, I wasn't quite as bothered about this in the beginning because it was only Rick Strassman who was promoting it in his book. The idea that there were you know people were seeing aliens in their DMT trips and stuff. I've never seen an alien and I've got hundreds of friends who've taken DMT. Nobody's ever talked about seeing aliens or having those kinds of encounters or anything like that. 
Um, you get communications. I mean, anybody who's done it gets communications, but the person who's never done it could easily be led to think that that's what people see when they take DMT because they read some account or some story. Well, now we have people like Andrew Gallimore and his alien information theory uh, being promoted and his idea specifically that we can use these psychedelics to communicate with aliens and interdimensional beings. And the curiosity here is that Andrew Gallimore, uh, uh, his, his whole background goes back to Imperial College, and, um, and that's where his base is out of and his project. Uh, comes out of Imperial College. Imperial College, just a little bit of research online, you can find out that that's a Freemasonry run institution. And so now we've got Andrew Gallimore talking about communicating with aliens through, you know, his information theory. And then we've got Rick Strassman talking about all the people who take DMT who encounter uh, what they see, what seem to be like alien encounters. And both of these are being charged through Masonic institutions. And I think that's very important for people to recognize and, and to understand and to take a look at. But do they mean like uh, interstellar, intergalactic aliens, or do they mean because you can mean that it's something foreign, like an alien being, you know, like not that it's an alien, not a UFO, you know, but like a, a being you know, that's alien to you? Um, well, I think it's it, the, based on the language that Gallimore and both and, and uh, Strassman use, it appears that they are promoting the idea of an actual, um, you know, that there are other beings and aliens and that they are having influence on us and that we are able to communicate with them. Um, it doesn't seem to be like an esoteric idea of something alien that's just alien to us. They, they, the communication seems to be more specific to alien beings and that they are existing in a dimension or in a place that we can't access and that through the use of psychedelics, we can access them. And that's completely not true. There's no, there's no evidence or truth to that whatsoever. Um, you know, the idea, what they're trying to do is they're trying to use the idea that they're going to keep people on DMT for extended periods of time so that they can actually have the time to interact with these species and to gain information from them. And all of this is being recorded and being kept and, 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 and brought together in uh, uh, knowledge and stuff at this institute where they're doing this, that Andrew Gallimore's in, 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 in charge of. Okay, so um, they're supposed to be collecting all this information and what is taking somebody on an extended DMT trip? How is that any different than an ayahuasca trip? When you're on ayahuasca, you have plenty of time to interact and do all those things, but no, still no, nobody talks about whole, you know, um, uh, initiations and integrations with alien species and things like this. This is all coming from specifically these two directions. And, um, and then I also take into account what Nick Sand said about, um, the uh, Rick Strassman experiments very early on. He said, you know, if you put somebody in a clinical lab situation and they're wearing coats and they've all got, you know, stethoscopes and charts and pens and paperwork and they're collecting information and they're all around you, when you're going out of body on a DMT trip, why wouldn't you think that you were surrounded by some sort of alien beings that were doing performing some sort of weird experiments on you? I mean, that's very obvious that that could be perceived in that way when you're no longer in your physical state completely and, you know, you can't use your senses in the same way anymore. So Nick Sand ridiculed the whole thing and, you know, 
and he has a, a pretty profound history himself with DMT. I think he was the first person to um, figure out how to how to smoke it or something back in 1953 or something. I'm not sure exactly of the, the details, but you know, that's the, those are interesting things to consider, you know, and, and especially when we hear this new narrative being promoted. Um, and I think it's very dangerous. Because I've seen uh, a lot of beings on ayahuasca and DMT uh, or creatures, or I don't, I don't know what they could be called, but uh, I never saw, I never perceived them to be like a UFO kind of alien, you know, like. Uh... Sure. Yeah. The, the, the thing, I think we have to look at this kind of carefully because there are energies and spiritual dimensions outside of us. And obviously you can see that through the interaction of things like the orbs or the fairies or UFOs, the, the real ones, the plasma ones that are not man-made. Um, these are phenomena that have been around and that are seem to be a part of the earth and that have been here for since the very beginning. And the what we perceive when we're on psychedelics can be influenced by some of those energies sometimes, I believe. And I think that they can trip our, our DMT levels electromagnetically and cause us to see things. But what we see is relative to our cultural experiences. And back in the, you know, I think you've probably heard the stories of the airships um, back in the 1800s and the 1700s, but there were these um, wooden um, boats in the sky that would pass by and an anchor would come down on a rope and some, and people would come down on these ropes, you know, and a couple of these anchors were even, you know, chopped off or kept in one of the churches or something like that back in the 1600s or the 1300s. I think there's two instances actually. Um, but I think the UFOs appeared as boats to the people at that time in the sky, because that was culturally the way that they were able to see them. So I think that when we take these, these, uh, trips like ayahuasca or DMT or any psychedelic, whatever has been created in our minds through culture and society. And those are things that we may not even be aware of because we grew up with Hollywood. So my entire life, I thought there were reptilians actually controlling the world because I grew up with land of the lost. I grew up with Godzilla. I grew up with all this stuff. And it implanted itself deep in my mind, in my subconscious from a very early age. So the things that we see when we're on these things, they might be influenced by some of these other energies, but are we really seeing what we perceive to be seeing? That's the question. Do, and how do we really know? So if they're not actually physically affecting us from outside of us, then it's very possible that a lot of their energy, a lot of their force, a lot of their focus, a lot of their impact is mostly upon our minds. And if it's mostly upon our minds, then to what degree do we want to give them the, uh, the, the, uh, the commitment of the idea that that's a reality or a controlling reality? It can be an influencing reality, but we don't know enough about that reality to start labeling it and what we're experiencing within it certainly not to say that, oh, there's all these different races of aliens that come from these different worlds and they want to communicate all these different things to us. And, you know, and when we hear the messages, you know, through the channeled material from the 50s to this day, they talk about, you know, a one world government and cleaning up the nuclear, you know, weapons and doing all these things to, you know, that are really Masonic agendas. So 
I just don't trust it necessarily. I know, you know, we all have our, our, our experiences, our personal experiences on psychedelics, but in all my life, I've never heard anybody come and talk to me and tell me about the different races that wanted to tell them all about the history of the world and what's been, you know, and, and all this stuff. They don't communicate to us in that way. They communicate, it's all mental. And so it's what we perceive in our minds. So I get suspicious when somebody comes around and starts to say, this is the reality. This is what's going on. These are the who we're dealing with. And this is how we deal with them. And when somebody has that much confidence to put themselves out there in the world and say that, I grow very suspicious. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to negate or say that there aren't, that there aren't any, you know, spiritual side of non-physical beings of different elements of consciousness that make up different. I think there's all kinds of those. I think there's all kinds of those, but are they actually anything that we could label and put as alien in that sense of how we think about aliens? I don't think there's any connection to that whatsoever. So just to, to finish that. So you don't think that everything you experience on psychedelics, it, it all is coming from the mind because uh, there's two camps in a sense where you one camp believes that and so and, and another camp believes you like like Strassman or Gallimore that way or another way would be more like maybe you uh, get you get into a different signal so you can like see more of the world than we can see now you know like just it's expanded spiritually I mean Or, or if you're very religious, it's like the afterlife. Well, I think it's somewhere in between. I think the truth is somewhere in between, um, between the two extremes. So, um, you know, the most imp some of the most important things I found that I put in the book were how I discovered that the Rig Veda were all just a series of poems and hymns and prayers to the UFOs to bring mushrooms for the people to consume and eat because they were praying in certain instances to the Asfins who were described as luminous aerial vehicles. And they were praying for them to bring the Soma, which was the mushrooms that they made. They put through the filter, they drank it with milk. Um, it was part of the ritual and the connection experience to God, a goddess. So there was that instance. And then there was the instance of uh, the crop, the uh, burn formations that there were about six instances recorded in the early 1970s where uh, bright lights and a UFO was seen the night before in a backyard. And the next day they went uh, to investigate and there was a giant burn circle there in a field. And in that burn circle were growing giant mushrooms. And this was several instances and one of them was in the desert. So there's, um, uh, I think what we have is the UFO has a consciousness and it's part of the earth. And I think that they bring the mushrooms and that they have a control over consciousness on the entire planet, that they, they watch the entire evolutionary thing and they have an interaction with every person and every human and every living organism on this planet through an invisible mycelial net of neurons that are uh, not, that are, etheric that are not physical so we have a, a, an etheric mycelial net connecting everything that's alive because it all grew from the mushroom and it everything has dmt and that dmt can be triggered to be released 
to cause different visions and different sightings and different things to bring humanity to the next level of awareness that it needs to go to. And so, and so some of that I think is outside of us and, but yet some of it is inside of us too, because it's based on our cultural understanding and how we can process that information. I don't think we have words yet to, to actually process this information properly. We're using words that associate our ideas to things that have nothing to do with the direction of the ideas that we're, we're pursuing. So I think we might even need a whole new language for some of this. You know. But what you just described about uh, this network and, and uh, what some... Uh... I guess one word uh, some people use, but but they might not see it exactly like you just said. It's like they call it Gaia, like some Earth consciousness or or whatever. But do you think that thing is connected to whatever drives the whole universe? Yeah, yeah. There is something, someone. There is a a grand consciousness, and it it's not embodied. It's not physical. It, It 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 exists in many different forms. And, um, and I think we're, we're all a part of it. You know, we're all connected to it. We're all a part of it. So I don't think there's any threat in the sense of aliens coming here and trying to do experiments on us and influence us. I do think that we are, to some degree, uh, subject to the will of this force. And I don't think there's a better UFO researcher out there than Jacques Vallée when it comes to being able to pinpoint some of these ideas and bring some of these uh, ideas to the public. Um, <clears throat> there's um, Trevor James Constable, who wrote his um, uh, uh, his books, The Cosmic Pulse of Life, and They Live in the Sky. Um, I think that's very important, too, to put the, the pu- pieces of the puzzle together. But I think really especially after my recent experience with the orbs or the fairies and the film that I got, the footage that I got, which is absolutely mind blowing. I've never seen anything like this in my entire life of 30 years of, of tracking down UFO videos and watching orb video. I've never seen anything like this, but after this experience, it really makes me uh, uh, reconsider some of the things that I thought, even when I was putting the book together. And, and that is that um, mostly that, we are subject to um, and influenced by these forces in ways that we don't have a full understanding of. We might never have a full understanding of. Um, <clears throat> but it does seem that they abduct people. It does seem that they do that. But I have a hard time going along with the stories of, the, of, of many of the abductions because many of those stories are also told by my lab's uh, victims, people who have been, you know, experienced military abductions and have been brought to military facilities. So the storylines, I don't think, add up with the actual phenomena. I think that's where we really need to be careful. I had a similar weird experience recently because I did a, a podcast episode w- with an, a guy who wrote a book about the God Pan, and uh, I have my own relationship with this uh, individual. As I have, as a child, I I saw a pan-like creature in in the woods, and uh, it's it wasn't a, an hallucination because uh, you know you see something and then you look away and then you look back and it's still there, but then it disappeared. You know, 
but uh, um, so it always stuck with me that and uh, anyway when I, I did this episode and then I told my wife about it and then she told me that when she was a child she had seen a man-sized rabbit in the forest and uh, and and she had uh, like bunnies herself you know as pets so as a child she understood it she saw it as a rabbit but you know a rabbit could it could have been pan because he has two horns you know but she she had never you know like you said she didn't she didn't know what a pan was you know uh, so she she just understood it as a man-sized rabbit you know with big ears you know uh, so that was fascinating like cuz uh, uh i uh, i'm not i'm not the person who says that all you know all these folklores and mythologies and that i don't i don't dismiss them as 100% invented uh, uh and i don't believe them 100% either i, I just like i just keep an open mind about it cuz you know like i i i, I believe cuz we have where i live there's a big folklore tradition so you have like elves and fairies and all these kinds of things and i i kind of choose to view them as they did uh, hundreds of years ago and like believe them in a sense but you know like keep an open mind because uh, i find that uh if you do that you experience it more somehow like you create your own reality and i think it's more fun to live in a world with elves and fairies than than not you know <laughs> I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, I was a little bit disappointed when I finished the book because I had almost closed my mind off in certain ways to the idea that the fairy was something of significance, um, of, you know, that it was something uh, aside from the mushroom hallucination itself. And I, it was a little bit disappointing to me and a little bit of that magic had kind of left in my life in a way, even though I have lived a very spiritual life and been very connected with the spiritual side of things. And when this recent experience happened, it just realigned me completely. It just reawakened me to the realization that the spirit is that close. I mean, just the significance of the, uh, uh, of the um, synchronicity of what happened with sending with my friends sending me videos uh, early in the morning one day and the next day me calling a different friend at eleven o'clock in the evening and her sending me the same pictures without no or dissimilar pictures without even knowing what that I had just sent her a text about the whole thing those kinds of things remind you that that we are all connected that there's a neural network and a net um, behind the scenes that's not visible that connects us all because. Uh, uh, mathematically, the chances of something like that happening would have been one in maybe five quadrillion. I don't know what the what the. I mean, it would be so outrageous it could never be possible. You know. So how do you how do you explain that? You know. How do you explain that? It it blew me away so much that I had no choice but to to again go. Wow. You know, the fairy is truly a magical thing. And it is related to the orbs, and it is related to the UFO, and it is related to this un, uh, uh, un, um, unincarnated non-physical consciousness. You know, and that's 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 important. I think it's it, it's super important to really to to not just think that, to, but to have experiences that show you that, because when you've been shown that 
you you can't close your eyes to it. You're open to it. You've been it's been shown to you. It's been revealed. And so, I mean, I, I could w- only wish that kind of experience on everybody, you know, because I feel like a child again. I, w- I went and got a, uh, a night vision camera that's specifically for uh, hunting uh, images in the infrared. And I'm going to start spending time now going to places and actually trying to capture uh, video and film footage of whatever I can. I can't remember the exact details, but I remember hearing Terence McKenna talk one time about that uh, fairyland evolved into purgatory. And that's the, what purgatory used to be was fairyland, and then they made it w- made they made it worse, and then it became like this story of purgatory to threaten people who didn't believe in God. You know, right, right. That makes sense. That's that's interesting. I've never heard that, but definitely that that makes some sense. So uh, your book, can you uh, talk a bit about just uh, what, the thesis of it, and then uh, also where people can get it? Yeah, um, the, uh, the 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 gist of the whole book is the um, just how uh, you, I take you down through history, from the earliest civilizations and groups of of matriarchal tribal people. I take you all the way through history with all kinds of facts and and books and citations. There's over a couple thousand citations, and they're on each page at the bottom of the page in the book. Um, so it's really easy to find the references and to figure out where I got certain pieces of information from. But I, I just take you through a journey through the whole history of the of the mushroom symbolism from India and Turkey and Egypt and Canaan and uh, Greece and Rome, and then all through the Catholic Church. Um, showing and revealing the alchemy, um, the symbolism of the devil, God in all the different aspects and, and, and ways that it's been communicated through uh, biblical and through mythology. And then uh, towards the end, I get into, uh, once I've, I've covered all of the mushroom lore and people have a really good understanding of how mushrooms form the mythologies and the religions of the world, then I take people through the UFO and the alien and the reptilian uh, material um, and MK Ultra and what I've been able to dig up about people like Andriha Pucharik and Yuri Geller and uh, some of the people who are masterminds of MK Ultra uh, in the earliest days and show you uh, all their connections and how uh, they brought the idea of the whole the mushroom was a, a book by Andriha Pruharia, and then he got into UFOs and stuff. And he he was one of the main characters that is is really um, not very well explored in the world of conspiracy and and knowledge about and truth about this stuff. But I I, I go deep into the MK Ultra and the storyline, and I show you how the reptilian stories that are done by David Icke, how you can actually see the drug symbolism, the mushroom and the drug symbolism in Credo Mutwa's six hour video on, uh, you know, as a shaman talking about the reptilians and all this stuff, it's all coded symbolism. It's in the, the, um, in the, uh, guardians of the grail in the, uh, what is his, his book, um, bloodline of the Holy grail and Lawrence Gardner. And I go through all of that. Zachariah Sitchin, and how they, you know, twisted the stories, and um, and 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 then also give a, a more clear understanding of the difference between the UFO itself and the uh, government-built flying saucers and stuff like that. So the 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 book covers pretty much everything. I mean, there's there's nothing in the conspiracy world in ancient history 
that pretty much isn't covered and subjects that people have been wanting to know a lot about for a long time. Uh, many new truths and new revelations are in this book. Uh, the book can be purchased online through eBay. Uh, it's on Amazon and it's also available on my books uh, on my website through ancientpsychedelia.com. I also have, um, I think since the last time I spoke with you and we did the last interview, I've put 10 hours of free video. My entire, uh, 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 I go through every one of the images in the book on video and I show you where the secret mushroom symbolism is in the images and all uh, 10 hours of that, uh, there's nine videos on BitChute under Exposed Theater uh, that's T-H-E-A-T-R-E, not T-E-R. So it's, it's, it's exposed theater on BitChute, and there's 10 hours of uh, ancient psychedelia secret symbolism videos right there. And, uh, and so that's a freebie for everybody and a good way to find out more about the book and what, to make a decision whether they want to buy the book and, you know, and own that as well. Fortunately, um, I think it's fortunate, I think, for a lot of people, but there are still quite a few first editions left right now. Um, they're selling a little bit slow because I'm not doing the promotion very heavily right now. Um, but uh, yeah, please uh, take a look at it. Uh, there's more information on the website about the book, and uh, I think the videos will give you a really good idea about the quality of the book and, and the information in there. Cool. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Alex. I really appreciate it. You have a great show and uh, you have a great, uh, uh, great afternoon. Thank you very much. I look forward to it again sometime. <laughs> hey, this is Anthony Tyler, host of Black Hoodie Alchemy on the Fringe FM. You can catch me every Monday evening, 6 p.m. Pacific time, where we uh, talk about the dark side of metaphysics and we'll chill a little bit. Uh, and you can catch me the day after on Spotify or Apple or Amazon or wherever else you stream your podcasts. If you've ever wondered what someone like Carl Jung might say about serial killers or perhaps cryptids, then this is the show for you. Skeptical, yet open-minded, empirical, but philosophical. We are going to talk about some really weird stuff, so I hope you join me on Black Hoodie Alchemy. Take it easy. Check out ancientpsychedelia.com. And if you want to support the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow the podcast in social media, and leave a nice review on iTunes or Spotify. Since it's Halloween right now, let's end with Monster Hash by The Toys. Freedom is in the mind. I was working in the lab late one night When I heard the gurgle of a water pipe So I turned to see my monster in a cloud of smoke Who said, this shit ain't bad, here, have a toast We smoke some hash We smoke some monster hash Some monster hash It was his personal stash We smoke some hash We got completely trashed A monster hash we smoked some monster hash As we parted in the castle with the living dead Mouths were dry and eyes were red The ghouls and goblins shrieked and screamed Won't somebody please pass the visine? They smoked some hash They smoked some monster hash Some monster hash From Frankie's personal staff We smoked some hash And they all were smashed they smoke some monster hash. Wow.
the mummy was toking on a ball. Wolfman said, don't bogart that, pass it along. The swamp thing was toasted, rolling on the floor, laughing hysterically and pleading for more. The scene was rocking as the werewolves moved to the undead reggae band's dance hall grooves. Meanwhile in the kitchen, Frankenstein baked some Alice B. Toklas, brownies and cakes. We ate some hash. We ate some monster hash. Some monster hash. It had the graveyard smash. We ate some hash. And we all got trash. We ate some monster hash. The party would have gone on till we all passed out. But just then we heard a blood-curdling shout. Watch out! Beware! Cover your necks! Dracula's got the munchies and he's totally wrecked. He smokes some hash. He smokes some monster hash. Some monster hash. He was completely smashed. He smokes some hash. That Transylvanian's trash. He smoked some monster hash. Now every night the dead rise up from the grave to partake in our happening THC rave. For you, the living, this hash was meant to. When you get to my door, just say the toys sent you. We'll smoke some hash. We'll smoke some monster hash. Some monster hash. And we'll all get trash. We'll smoke some hash. From my personal stash. We'll smoke some monster hash. Mm, hash. Easy boy, save some for.